Welcome to the Playing the Game podcast with your hosts, Brock White and Cody Ransom. This podcast is the place for all things baseball, hunting, and entrepreneurship. These two guys have put in the work and have the stories and advice to back it up. Brock is a longtime business owner, and Cody played pro ball for over 18 years. Driven deep to left field. There it goes. See ya. A long home run for Cody Ransom. The one thing that brings these two guys together is hunting. Babe Ruth said it best. Never allow the fear of striking out to keep you from playing the game. This is the Playing the Game podcast, presented by Rolly White RV. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Today, we have an awesome podcast for you guys. We're going to introduce Cody and hear about his story. How he got here, he's been with the Diamondbacks for how long? Uh, coaching, playing. Coaching. Uh, coaching, just, just my first year back. So You were in the major league professional athlete for how long? Uh, 18 years. 18 uh, years. Yeah, 13, parts of 13 in the big leagues. and uh, yeah. So we're just going to go through his history, how he got there, and the teams he played for. Things he learned, how it was on his family, and how we got here today. So, Cody, how, where did you grow up? Yeah, so I grew up here in, in Arizona in Chandler. Um, you know, born and raised here. I was like fourth generation Chandler, uh, Chandler High. Um, dad went to Mesa High. Mom went to Chandler. Um, they met in college, and then kind of lived in this my dad's been in the same place now for I don't know 45 years um we went to Chandler uh went to South Mountain Community College Grand Canyon drafted by the Giants out of there so hold on a second all right so growing up mm-hmm. what sports did you love to play were you a dual all athlete all of them whatever did, I could get into did you what did you love to play the most like when I was five, I told my parents I was going to play in the major leagues. But what five year old doesn't? You know, what I, I, mean? I said that too. Yeah. So that, that you know, it's a pipe dream for everybody, and some of us get lucky. But do you? We played soccer, basketball. You know, you name it, we did it. And, did you always? Was baseball always your favorite? I think it was uh, until probably until high school, and then basketball became my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I wasn't. I didn't think I was going to play high. Uh, baseball after high school why I just wasn't very good you weren't <laughs> no. but you loved it I did yeah what part of your game did you not think you were good at all of it or uh, I just wasn't very big so how like big it, were you uh, I think my first driver's license at 16 said 5'5 five, five, uh, 125 pounds probably somewhere in there 5'5 five, five, 125 yeah, pounds at, uh, at 16 so my sophomore year I uh, ended up growing, I Jeez. guess, my junior year. I grew a little bit. I think I graduated like 5'10". So you're you're starting to kick, starting to grow. Yeah, like in my, my senior year. Your senior year. <laughs> yeah, I grew, a, uh, I grew like three more inches my freshman year in college. So That's pretty cool. So could you, 
always could you dunk the ball when you're in high school? I could. Yeah. Five ten dunking the ball. That's you got some hops. A little. I could jump a little bit. That's pretty cool. Yeah. A little. So you just weren't growing. You didn't think that was a possibility. Yeah, I mean, there were. I had some college offers just based on an academic scholarship and opportunity to go play baseball, and then I ended up walking on to JUCO, and uh, I got drafted my freshman year. Explain um, what JUCO is for junior college. Junior so college. yeah, so Arizona Junior College played at South Mountain Community College in Phoenix. Um, like walked on there, no scholarship, no nothing, and by spring, by baseball season, I was starting shortstop. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was great. I mean, I the coaches there were incredible for me because, you know, I never really knew, like, they made me work out and they made it hard on me and I, I was tested a lot. Kind of kind of helped me out. So, um, yeah, it taught me how to – what I really could kind of do, you know. Did you have some coaches that believed in you? I think without a doubt, yeah. I mean, we had a – George Lopez and, and Mark Wheeler out of there were – I mean, I still talk to them this day. Um they kind of they had a uh, sophomore returning shortstop that was really good, and uh, they gave me an opportunity. They told me I could I could do it, and uh, kind of took it from there. And I ended up getting drafted that year. So was that your first year or second? That year? was my freshman year. Yeah, freshman year. Mm-hmm. And then you decided to go pro. What what made you decide that? I didn't. I went back to school. Oh, you uh, did. Yeah. So I I finished four years of school. Oh. And cool. uh, yeah, so I went back to junior college my sophomore year. I was drafted again. Uh, didn't sign again. Went to school in Colorado at Mesa State University. My, uh, I think it's it's called something else now. I think, but um, played there. Had a really good year. Probably the best year I had in college. I had there and didn't get drafted after I had been already. And so I decided to kind of get out of there and walked on to Grand Canyon uh, University my senior year and then got a scholarship second semester and then was drafted by the Giants in the ninth round ninth as round. a senior. Yeah. So. I've always been kind of confused when teams are able to draft a player, mm-hmm. but they decide not to play. Mm-hmm. It happens quite a bit, it seems like. It does, yeah. So, like, it usually happens in later rounds, I think, because, uh, you know, they draft you and then they have your rights for X amount of time up until next year's draft to sign you. Yeah. And so, like, my first two years, I was considered what to draft and follow. So they wanted to draft me and then kind of watch me for that year and then maybe make an offer, maybe not. So they made an offer later on before the following year's draft, and then I decided not to take it and go back to school. Whether it was a good idea or not, I you know, <laughs> remains to be seen. But uh, it was right for me at the time. Um, it ended up working out fine, you know. Uh, if somebody would ask me, it might not be the path I'd tell them to take. It's, I think it's an individual kind okay. of thing. Yeah. Um, the earlier rounds, it doesn't tend to happen a lot. I mean, we saw it happen with, like, Kyler, Kyler Murray last year, and I, got, I just don't know how a team wastes a, waste a first-round draft on somebody that they're not going to sign. You know what I mean? Like, do they still but, have the rights to Kyler? Right now, yeah, they do for till the draft. Well, no, the draft ended, so it's over. Uh, yeah, they only get one year of rights. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, if yeah. they sign, if they sign him or, or do something else, then I think it's different. I, I think that's still the way it works. I mean, shoot, mine was twenty-two years ago, so <laughs> I think yeah. everything's the same. I haven't really followed the draft as closely now, but as far as rules, but I think it's I think it's still the same. Uh, how how was? How was your baseball team in high school? In high school? Yeah, like 
Did remember. you have a great team? Did you guys go to the playoffs? I don't think so. Do you have, like, any moments that really stick out? No. No. <laughs> uh, I, I actually made the varsity team as a junior, but, like, wasn't playing much, so I asked to go to JV so I could yeah. play. And then, so I wasn't really on varsity until my senior year. That's cool. Um, I just wasn't very good, you know. I, I played a lot of sports, but I was kind of, like, average at them just because of size and strength and stuff. You just enjoyed playing? Yeah, I mean, I knew I I loved sports, and that's all I ever did. Like, I didn't care if it was at home or the park or wherever, you know, but I mean, we'd go find a park and play basketball or you name it. But um, the – yeah, I just – I mean, I had a passion to play sports. Like, it was fun for me. I loved competition. I didn't care what it was in. When did you peak with your height? With my height? Yeah. Um. After – when I was drafted at 6'2". 6'2". So I think uh, the first year. So I think after probably my freshman year, I was about 6'2"-ish, maybe a little over. But So it would, it would have been – I was probably 20, 20? Yeah. 19, 20. That's cool. Yeah. So you were drafted the Giants. Mm-hmm. You chose to take it. Mm-hmm. And then what happened from there? So I signed uh, my first contract. I went to rookie – well, went to extended spring training in Arizona for like five days and then went up to uh, Salem, Oregon to short season. Um, spent the first, I guess, two and a half months of my career up there. We won a championship the first year. Oh. It was awesome. Um, Did you play a lot? Yeah, I played every day. Every day. Every day at shortstop, yeah. Um, a decent year, you know, okay. Uh, went to spring training. I uh, went to instructional league after that season here in Arizona, so um, – I had been playing, I guess, from February through the college season and then through the end of August with the pro season and then instructional league, I think, was like September, October. So it was a long year. It was February, October, basically, of, you know, kind of learning how to learn the ropes. and and, uh, Is that considered like single A or? What short season or? Yeah, short season. It's it's short season eight balls. Yeah, so it's, it's usually the guys that are, Either just drafted or um, have come out of like the academy or extended spring. Um, so there's like an extended extended league. Typically, this year's all jacked up, so like, yeah. you can't really follow anything. And uh, Major League Baseball just cut out like 42 affiliates. Wow! So a lot of the minor league team, like the lowest, I guess, revenue kind of teams yeah. are, are out. So wow. will they um, bring them back? No, they're no, they're not going to bring the teams back. They're just I, from what I hear, they're going to realign everything yeah. and try and put organizations in the same kind of area, so it's easy. Because, like for the Diamondbacks, we had teams in Jackson, um, I think outside of Chicago, uh, Montana, Oregon. Seems like a mess. Well, it's just like if you're trying to get somebody to, let's say, they get sent up or down or whatever, then you have to get them to that next place, and it's it's got to kind of be easier for them, you know. Yeah, makes sense to centralize. Yeah. So AAA for us was in Reno, Nevada, which is easy to get to, but AA was in Jackson. And then we had A-ball and a couple A-balls and a couple short seasons, Montana, Chicago, like, you know, so kind of all over the place. So and then you got the academies in the Dominican and Arizona League and all the other ones. So yeah. there's, there's a lot of moving parts. But it's good, you know, if we cut out 40 teams and – you know, you figure each team cuts out 
one or two teams as far as affiliates and and uh, I mean that gets rid of coaches that gets rid of probably eight to ten coaches and you know if if you get rid of two teams you get rid of fifty players in the organization and so there's there's I think there's going to be a lot less jobs yeah this year for coaches and players and I think it might I'm hoping the the talent pool kind of increases like yeah. there's you know you know what I'm saying uh, the draft was only five rounds this year. So, a lot less than the fifty, you know, in the past, and that's crazy. Um, yeah, so it, it's definitely going to be different. Um, I think this whole pandemic thing has kind of <laughs> really changed a lot, and, and we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, I, it remains to be seen how much is going to be different, how much is going to kind of stay like it is. So you got drafted. You're in. You're playing the short season instructional league. Mm-hmm. How many years? Well, why don't you tell everybody what is it like for a minor league player? How much do they make? <laughs> How hard is it? Fun part. Like this is because when I found out this, this kind of shocked me. Mm-hmm. Like how little they little. make. Right. It's not how much. It's how little. How little they yeah. make. Right. So like short season is uh, – you know, you go for about two and a half months, and, like, we had six guys living in an apartment. Um, my signing bonus was $7,500 uh, before taxes. Before. Before. Uh, ninth rounder. Bought my wife's engagement ring with that, so it was gone. It was gone. <laughs> um, and then we made, I think we made, like, I think it was, like, 750 bucks a month. Oh, my gosh. Before taxes. So everyone has to have a second job. Well, yeah, I, I, you hope you or know. Or a wife at home. Maybe. Or yeah, wife. A lot of a lot of guys have like uh, I guess wives at work or parents. <sighs> their signing bonus or yeah. parents or you know whatever it may be. Because um, you can't live off seven fifty. No, well that's what I mean. You got three guys or six guys in an apartment. Do they give you splitting food the rent? No. Well, they didn't. Yeah. It's changed a little bit. So they give you meal money. It was twenty dollars a day on the road only. Yeah. Uh, at home, you don't get it. But you have to pay clubhouse dues at home, which were I think, you have a, to, yeah, you have to pay the clubhouse. Yeah, you, I mean that's how they get paid. Uh, they they're on a small salary, but like you tip them, and it's um, it's tough. It's not easy. I mean the the first, you know, I think it went from like I think it was seven fifty to like nine fifty to eleven hundred to thirteen hundred or something like that. But then there were different things. Like if you made the forty man roster, you get a bump to like. I think at the time it was like $40,000 a year, which was like, I, don't know, I was a millionaire now after making, you know, a couple hundred. Yeah. But you only get paid for the time you're playing. So if you yeah. figure, you know, a five-month season, at a thousand, you're only making five grand a year, 7000 a year, or whatever it is. It's, That's crazy. It's nothing, yeah. So to try and have a life, and, and the guys that have kids, and, you know, a lot of these guys have kids and families, and they're making that much, it's really, really difficult. And on the minor league side, there's no uh, – like there's no real players union, right? So the yeah. union doesn't cover the minor league side. Oh, so you're not part of the players association. You're not part of the union until you make the major Thanks. leagues. Yeah. Um and it's major league players union is the best around. Like there's it's the best. Like basketball wants to be like it, yeah. football, like everything. It's they have our back 100% as players and we will go to war with each other as far as like strike or whatever it takes you know what i'm saying and it's yeah. it's strong and it's as good as it gets the minor league side is 
there's nothing. Like, I mean, even there's so there's a minor league pension that the majority of guys that play in the minor leagues don't have any idea about. Yeah, it's there. If you played, you have money. You, you just need to go get it. You have to go get it. Yeah, and they won't call you and tell you, and that's that's because there's no union. So it's up to us, like former players, to inform the next generation. Pass it on. Yeah, and you have to. Um, like all that stuff, insurance is on the minor league side is rough. It's tough. It's you know you're just basically. What do they give you for insurance? It's only I think it was only during the season, and you had to pay for it. So so out of the seven fifty. Yeah. If you had you like I myself got insurance, but if my wife needed, I had to pay for hers. My kids needed, I had to pay for hers. Um, major league side's the same way. You have to pay for it. You know, we get ours, and then you pay for your families. But obviously, things are a little. I mean, I think my first year, what was it, two thousand or two thousand one? Uh, I got called up to the big leagues. So how long were you in the minor league system? So my first uh, ninety eight, I was drafted. I went to short season. Uh, ninety nine, I went to A ball and double A. The same year, mm. I think 2000. I think uh, was double A AA and triple A, and then 2001 was triple A in the big leagues. So you moved up pretty quick. I did, yeah. Um, and it was kind of weird because I was, I think I was a good defensive player. I could run bases and do some things, but there were glimpses of stuff on offense. But I wasn't very consistent, so I was kind of surprised at how quickly I moved up as far as that went. But. Um, once I got up, I didn't stay there. Like, it was up and down. It was kind of a roller coaster. And um, that's where it's – like, I did get there really quick. I mean, three years I was in the big leagues. So, it's it's pretty quick, um, especially back then with the team we were on, a veteran Giants team, a um, lot of veteran guys. Dusty Baker was the manager. Awesome. One of my favorite people ever. And, and um, you know, it was just it was just a different kind of time than it is now. I mean, that was – 2001 I think it was so yeah we were 19 years ago when did they crack down on the steroids <laughs> that was like really close to that right uh I think it was actually I was I was very naive like I had no idea a lot of this stuff was going on and then the Balco report came out mm-hmm. and I'm like was your name on it no my name <laughs> definitely wasn't on it I like I I, <laughs> I definitely had no idea what was going on like I was that naive. I was just happy to be there and try to stay out of everybody's way. And and um, but I think I think we I want to say we started getting tested like two thousand six seven somewhere in there. So they started testing you. How would they test you? Urine. Urine samples. Mm-hmm. What would you say to a kid? What would be some major traits that you would want your son or players that you're coaching to have that makes them move up quicker or learn more? Mm, work ethics, number one. And I think that it can be like put into all aspects of life, not yeah. just baseball. But, um, you know, character is big for me. Character. Um, yeah, be accountable. Um, yeah. You know, if, if you do something, expect – repercussions like you know be accountable for your actions so. um your character and your work ethic i think to me are are the biggest things that are gonna kind of push you through because there's there's so many ups and downs like in the game you know what i mean and and you have to be able to handle failure like how over important? and over and over <laughs> yeah that's interesting because if you think about a great hitter in the mm-hmm. major leagues hits 300 mm-hmm. that would be really good right yeah, 300 career averages. 
Excellent. Pretty good. Yeah. So that means I wasn't that good. Three, <laughs> seven out of the ten times you fail. Mm-hmm. And you can do everything right and still fail. Yeah, you could crush the ball. Yeah. Or how about on the defensive side? Like how? I mean, you have to be near perfect. Yeah, I mean, especially like a middle infielder or somebody like that. I mean, you're going to need to catch ninety-eight of ninety-nine out of a hundred. Yeah. Like fielding percentage needs to be a probably nine eighty or above. You know, like on all honesty. Would you say that? The handling failure baseball, it's mental. It's between the ears. How how much is it? All of it. The, all of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, be, to be able to handle that and move forward from it is 100% mental. I mean, it's – the physical part is the physical. Like, at the end of the day, like, and I didn't really figure this out until way late in my career, like, you know, you slump and you're worried about your swing or like your mechanics haven't changed for the most part. Yeah. And as a coach now, the the biggest thing I want to talk to the players about is like approach or how are you dealing with this? Like, is it, you can watch the video and your swing hasn't changed. Yeah. Like you're not doing one thing different, but you're not hitting now. So you're, it's all in your head. Yeah. Like, I mean, you listen to a lot of Pete Rose stuff, right? Or yeah. say whatever you want about him. He's got more hits than anybody. Yeah. I guess except Ichiro now, but yeah. but I mean, you talk about him, and he's like, I I never was in a slump. I just hadn't gotten hit, hmm. right? Like he never told himself he was in a slump. He just, just Jeter used to say like, the longer I went without a hit, the more I was due. Oh yeah, like where I was like, you just I'm never getting hit again. The, the world's you know I mean? coming down on you. Yeah, it's and so it's you know, and and that's you look at those guys, and there's a lot of job security, right? They're not going anywhere. Yeah, and but is it due to their mental toughness or vice versa. You know what I'm saying? Like, why is their job security? Is it because they are so good mentally or are they so good mentally because they are have job security? You know what I'm saying? Like, for me, I was always kind of, um, I guess, worried about being sent back down and not performing or, or whatever. And later on, when I was better, I wasn't worried about that. Like, I, I, I knew there wasn't anything I can control. Like, there were times that I was designated or sent down where I wasn't the guy that probably should have been, but I was, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, whether you can do anything about that or not, it's really not up to you. All you can do is go on the field and play, do your job in the clubhouse, be on time, good teammate, all the, you know, things you hear. And then, you know, if something happens, it happens. And it's really kind of out of your control at that point. How important is it to be – a guy in the clubhouse that can be trusted, got a good attitude, and overall just a good dude. How important is that? For me, it was important. For me, it kept me around. Yeah. Um, there's guys that aren't, but, you know, you better be a pretty good player if that's the case. But there's really uh, not, like, man, all the guys I played with over all the years, I mean, 11 teams, 11 organizations over 18 seasons, right? So a lot of those had two or three teams in it. Or yeah. two usually, but I mean, you'll probably, I don't know, like, how many guys is that? 20, 25, like, I don't know, 500 guys yeah. that I was teammates with, probably. Yeah. Maybe. Um, out of that group, there might have been like five guys that weren't good dudes. Five guys. Like, so the then you, of the then guys. you really think, like, I don't like that guy, yeah. you know, or, or he's, he's no good, or, you know, whatever. 
majority of guys, man, you're all in there and you're there for, you know, 162 games and you're there for 180 days minus spring training playoffs. And you see them every day. You literally see them more than your family during that time. And if they're not good people, like you're going to know it. And you kind of have to be because you're dealing with those people every day. And you don't want to be a guy that's known as like that guy. You know what I mean? You don't want to be that guy. No, you really don't. I mean, we're all in it together and we're all trying to do the same thing. Like we all have the same goals in mind. You might be competing with the guy next to you to go to the big leagues, but at the end of the day, like, if you're rooting against them, that's going to come back on you. How important is it to be, like, happy for those that succeed, even though you're not succeeding yourself? I guess that's up to each individual. But, like, for me to see a guy, like, if it's a guy that goes in and works and grinds every day and he's, like, putting in the time and he succeeds, like, I really feel good for those guys. If it's a guy that just gets by and doesn't, like, he gets by for whatever reason and gets called up for whatever reason, but he's not a guy that wants to go in and work and he just kind of goes through the motions and he doesn't really care. Like, it's a little hard to take, you know, because you got guys that are really passionate about this and it's, like, truly their dream. And, you know, I talk to a lot of younger players now, uh, especially, like, if you don't really want it, let's take a guy from, let's say, the DR, right, Dominican, that – has his family back there, and they're relying on him 100% to take care of them. And he sends his whole check home every month, and that's how his family lives. His mom, his dad, his brothers, his sisters, everybody. He has a real, like, kind of responsibility and drive to to do well, right? Where you get a kid here that maybe grew up in a, you know, middle to upper class household that parents have money, you know, fine right? you're well off that maybe sign for some money and you just kind of like if you make it you make it if you don't you don't those guys drive to me are completely different their work ethics completely different their um like their passion for the game and their reason for playing is really different right so like I kind of looked at that like I always wanted to make my wife proud my kids proud and my parents proud yeah every time I stepped on the field so for me, that drive was kind of, that was it, right? Like, I didn't want to let them down. Yeah. And so I see that a lot more in the, I see it a lot in the Latin players. I really do. Um, because they are so passionate about family and about, you know, taking care of them. And th- there's like a different reason, you know, like a different why as to why they're playing. And, you know, I try and stress that all the time. Like, this is the guy you're going against. Right, like, and we even tell our younger kids, like, if you think high school kids or whatever that train, like, if you think you're that hungry, just watch this or look at this video or you know whatever. Like, this is what real hunger to be great is. Yeah. So, it's just a different driving force, I think, and everybody has their own motivating factors or whatever. But how important is it to have that motivation? I find in my workspace, if you're driven by money. Those people usually are a little bit more miserable. Yeah, for than, sure. Than people that are doing it for other reasons. Yeah, because if it's not, I think if if it's not like instant gratification, like if you don't get the money right then, then you know it's kind of like, what are you doing it for? Yeah. Um, yeah, I would agree with that a hundred percent. I think the guys that are passionate about just being the best player they can be. Like, there's some guys that I've talked to without naming names, like, 
what drives you, you know, that I've asked. And they're like, I want to be the greatest. Yeah. And they go out and they literally look like they're having fun every day and they're pretty well off as well, you know, but they... It correlates. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they go out and they work hard and they have fun and they enjoy doing it and they enjoy the whole process of it. Like, they enjoy going to the cage and the weight room and playing and, you know, all the off-season stuff. They enjoy all that. And they enjoy everything that goes along with it. And the money kind of comes and in bunches to them. You know, I... That's interesting because I believe that money is like the consequence of what you do. So if it, if all you do is focus on the money, then you'll be disappointed because you're just focusing on the end result instead of focusing on all the other things that get you there. Yeah. Like all yeah. the work and yeah, for sure. all the other stuff. And if you focus on that and you don't worry about the consequence, mm-hmm. then usually the money just comes. Yeah, I I would agree. I mean, the people I've talked to in business, same thing. Yeah. I mean, people in football, basketball, baseball, friends I have, same thing. Like, it's it, it's hard though. I mean, it's definitely hard. I mean, like we talked about, imagine making a thousand dollars a month and yeah. then, and then, hey, I enjoy this process. It, there's definitely some sacrifice that has to go, and I think that yeah. in any industry there's going to be those years like that reminds me a lot of pilots um that are training to go into um the big airlines Mm -hmm. they have some crazy uh training that they don't make any money and they do it to build hours and it is crazy that it's the same thing. They don't make any money. They only get paid when they're flying and it's like 12 bucks an hour. <laughs> so like if you go up to the Grand Canyon and you get a, a flight, those usually are all guys building hours to go to the airlines and they're getting paid tw- $12 an hour <laughs> flight hour. So only when the engine's running. Right. So they might get four hours a day, maybe. So that's like 48 bucks. Wow. So it reminds me a lot of that. Yeah. I mean, it's, but then I think as a pilot, once you make it, pretty it's a pretty good career. It's a great you know? career so with great everything. You great know? benefits, great retirement. Yeah, all the, all the same thing. So. And I think that any profession, if it's baseball or outside, there's going to be those sacrificial sacrifice years where you could say, well, you know, as a doctor, mm-hmm. you went to eight years of school and right. built up all this debt. As a baseball player, you pr- you had three, two, three years in the minors making no money. Well, yeah, yeah, it was three years for me and then up and down. So up yeah. and down, it was not an awful living. I mean, it's nothing that you want to write home about, but it's, I mean, you can definitely make it, you know. Yeah. Now it's so different. Like I think the minimum now is like, I don't know, five hundred twenty grand a year. So even if you get a month in, it's what ninety thousand a month. Yeah. So it's a little different for sure. But that's but that's earned. I mean, the players' association, like I said, the the union's been so strong now for so long that we've negotiated that. So it's it's pretty good. I mean, I think they, they make ten or eleven billion dollars last year. So. Jeez. 
Tired of going different places to get all you want? Looking for a program that offers everything? Are you interested in training, nutrition, baseball, softball, after-school youth programs, hunting, or charity work? One Performance is an all-inclusive program that offers training, advising, instruction, and opportunity for everyone, from the beginner to the professional. With a staff compiled of some of the best in their fields, impressive backgrounds, and an unmatched passion for teaching and giving back, One Performance is the first of its kind in Arizona. With the connections and background we have in the baseball community on a local and national level, from t-ball to the major leagues, One Performance offers teams known as Arizona National BPA, opportunity for instruction, gameplay, and development in every aspect of the game, both physically and mentally. The staff at One Performance Training are some of the finest in their respective fields. They strive to educate, motivate, and assist every athlete in maximizing their abilities. Whether you're looking for an opportunity for a young athlete or a seasoned professional to surround themselves with like-minded coaches, mentors, and athletes, One Performance is the family you're looking for. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Ready for an escape? Ready for an adventure? Do you want to camp, hunt, hit the dunes, or just relax on the beach? Ruly White RV is the number one toy hauler dealer in Arizona for the past five years running. With a no-pressure culture and no dealer fees, they guarantee you a great price and a great experience as you purchase your very own toy hauler or travel trailer. Ruly White is family-owned and operated and has now expanded to five locations, including Mesa, West Phoenix, North Phoenix, Flagstaff, and Idaho Falls, Idaho. Whether you're looking for a toy hauler or travel trailer, fifth wheel or bumper pole, Rolly White can get you what you're looking for. They carry all the big names, including Genesis Supreme, Vortex, Attitude, Wolfpack, Raptor, Forest River, and the newly released Wanderer by Genesis. We all want to beat the heat or just escape the craziness and get outdoors. Let Rolly White help you get there by visiting any of our locations or checking us out on Facebook, Instagram, and online at rollywhite.com. How hard was it for you to call it quits? <laughs> it was I didn't call it quits. They did. <laughs> they did. I mean, I, w- I was 40. Um, you're, that's pretty awesome to play till you're 40. Yeah, it was like that was my goal. I wanted 20 years. I wanted to play. First, I said I wanted to play 10 years, and I made it. I was like, oh, man. I want to play 20 years. Adjust, readjust your goals. Yeah. I, I wish I would have set my goals differently, and I've talked to a lot of people about goal setting now, um, mm. players and stuff. Like, I was – at first, I just – and I told my wife all the time, man, I'll sit on the bench in the big leagues if I can make it. Yeah. That wasn't it. Like, I wasn't happy with that because I knew I could be better. Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of let that limit, I think, my ceiling for a while. Yeah. And then uh, kind of changed them a little bit, and it got a little better, but um, – you know, you got. I think you got to set goals that like are way up there uh, that scare you a little bit. You know, and if there's a ceiling to them, break through the ceiling or whatever. But the, you know, yeah. just like uh, I think you got to be able to once you realize that it's attainable, you got to reset it for sure. Like just reset it. Yeah, you. I don't know. People like, oh, don't set it too high because you'll fail. Right? I've heard that a lot in goal setting. I read a lot of books books yeah. on it and stuff. But I don't know why. Like I, think I mean, the I, moment think, you I think realize. You just, that you're going to hit it, you got to move it. Yeah, I mean, set it, like, unattainably high and, and work your butt off every day to try and get to it, whatever it is. Like, there's stuff that, like, we're trying to do right now that just people are looking at me like, what? And 
So what? Like, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But if it does, it's going to be pretty cool. You know, I have had people look at me weird for a long time. <laughs> yeah, but does it work? It, you know what? I, I just always go with my gut. And if it doesn't, I've failed at a lot of things. And I've accomplished a lot of things. Yeah. So, Well, I think I think failing makes you successful, though. I mean, how you rebound from that, what you learn from it. If you don't fail, then definitely you're not your goals aren't high enough, or you're not, uh, you know, you're not trying to reach out. Like it's, if you're not failing, then I don't think you're at the right level. As yeah. far as if you're not you're pushing the limits, I know that we, out what I do, um, we work so hard. There's sometimes you just want to quit. And oh if, yeah. If you're not working so hard, that sometimes you want to quit, then you're not working hard enough. Yeah. I 100%. And if you're not failing, you know, like we shot, we, me and you went to the total archery challenge in Utah. Blast. Yeah. And it was awesome. It was humbling. Very humbling. Yeah. Yeah. We were on the, the range, the practice mm-hmm. shoot, and I was nailing that elk 105 yards. Yeah. And I was like, I'm ready to rock. I got this. And then I was humbled. Yeah. <laughs> Going down that range, I was like, it's tough. If I hit foam, I'm happy. Right. Yeah, we didn't uh, – I personally didn't shoot very well. First time through it, it was awesome. I mean, the hikes were tough. It was yeah. about five miles of some pretty yeah. gnarly stuff. I we, fell down a couple times. A couple. Sorry. A lot. <laughs> I hurt my knee still hurts. <laughs> there were a couple good ones in there. Right. I wish I would have had the camera. Oh, but, yeah, I tumbled. You did. I tumbled. <laughs> Like a lot, like a lot, I tumbled. It it was a good time, man. My my, my I wife and I talked about it. It was fun. We had a, we had an enjoyable time. Like I appreciate you guys you inviting us up there and stuff. It was it was a blast. Got to, I met some great people. Um, you know your partners and the you know the people you roll with there. And yeah. Some good people, man. So back to your story. So what are what was like some highlights that you look back and you say, "Man, that was awesome." There's a few. Um, so, if anybody asks me my, about my career, it's like it's very mediocre at best, right? But even that being said, like at any given time, there's only 750 big leaguers. That's pretty awesome. And out of that, there's maybe 350, 400 position players, right? Yeah. So in the world. So, I get told all the time, like, right, (laughs) you suck or you weren't that good. Cool. I wasn't that good compared to the best in the world. Well, Derek Jeter. Well, like, everybody, right? So, there's there were literally about 350 people that were as good or better than me. Yeah. In the world. Yeah. At (laughs) any given time. That's pretty awesome. So, like, if I talk about my career, I'm like, dude. Very average. But if I had that brought up to me, like, you think about it this way, and, like, I'm like, wow, that's that's pretty cool. And I did that for 18 years. You know, so it was like, yeah, it wasn't that good, but compared to what? Well, compared no. to the top 300 in the world, maybe I wasn't that good. I think it's so – I think making it to the bigs is one of the toughest things you can do. It's just – It's up there with some other stuff. But, I mean, it's – it's A professional athlete. yeah. Yes, like I'm gonna agree. It's it was pretty cool. Like yeah, I'm not gonna world, lie. You played the World Series. 
Uh, no, I was on the team that played the World Series. But did you get a ring? <laughs> I did get a ring, yeah. You have a ring. I do, and I have one that we lost with the Giants uh, to the Angels. So I have a ring that we won and one that we lost. I have a ring with New York that we won. I was the opening day third baseman on that team that year. Um, Alex was get, Alex Rodriguez was getting hip surgery. Um, so I lucked into that spot. <laughs> hey. Um so a couple memorable things. I mean, obviously I remember my first hit. Where was that? Uh, in San Francisco off of Roy Oswalt. <laughs> oh, um, I remember cool. my first at bat. It was in San Francisco off of Kurt Schilling. Ooh. Uh, my first home run was in San Francisco off of Vicente Padilla. Okay. Um, so those are my first as far as those go. Um, I remember, so like uh, my I gave my parents those jerseys, signed them, pretty cool. Uh, My first at-bat with the Yankees, I homered. What was the pitch? It was a slider. Slider. 2-1 slider from from the Royals. Yeah. Jeff Fulcino. Jeff Fulcino. Fulcino or whatever. Um, And then my second at-bat with the Yankees was in Baltimore, and I homered. So to this day, I'm the only Yankee to homer in the first two plate appearances. That's pretty cool. Yeah, like for how bad I was, <laughs> it was like you think of the history of the Yankees and all the people that are with them. Yeah. Nobody's done it. Um, a lot of guys have homered in their first to bat, but not first two. Um, playing first base in the last ever game at the old Yankee Stadium, I caught a ground ball and stepped on first base. Final put out the old stadium. Um, I didn't play first base very often. So, did, like, did you keep that ball? No, we had to give it back. Oh, we actually had to sign a uh, waiver before the game. and uh, So I, I actually handed it to Mariano Rivera uh, yeah. after last out and acted like I wasn't going to give it to him. But he actually, I think, gave it to Steinbrenner later on. Yeah. So um, it would have been cool to have, but you know, I've got the memories and the picture and the glove and all the other stuff. So, um, And then opening day third baseman in the new stadium there. So That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was a good time. I mean – there were a lot of good memories. Playing at home in Arizona for the Diamondbacks. I mean, being born here, going to high school here, going to college here, playing here, and now coaching here for the Diamondbacks. It's pretty cool. Like, I get to be at home. Um, there's some cool stuff in there. Um, so, when did you re- retire? Uh, 2000, I guess, 16 was my first year. What's that, four, four or five years ago? It's the fifth year, I guess. What are you doing now? Uh, well, <laughs> so kind of by default, we started a youth program. Um, I don't really know how or why it started. I kind of do, but it just is what it is. Um, so I was, uh, yeah, my my son is, uh, he's 12 now. We've had him for, we've had these teams for about four years now. Um I just didn't really love the way the youth sports are heading. I just don't think it's a great avenue. Which way are they heading? The wrong way. Like <laughs> the club atmosphere? Well, yeah, so club baseball, I feel like, and they didn't have club baseball when I grew up or club yeah. sports when I grew up. Uh, we just played whatever season it was, and we played, and that was about it. Club sports are kind of rampant right now. I think there's some good, and I think there's some bad. Um, the good is the kids – I think get exposed to way better competition at a younger age, and that's good and bad as well. So uh, the competition they get to play against and the experiences they have are outstanding. Like, 
you know, my son was able to, to go to the USA tournaments and USA baseball, and, and, like, you get to see the kids across the country that you're competing against. So the stuff that we didn't really see until college, like, wow, there's some good players out here. Because locally you might be a dude, right? Like, okay, I'm pretty good. I make the all-star team every year. Go to California, Texas, Florida, Midwest, and play against some of the top talent. You're like, well, maybe I'm not that good, right? It's a little humbling, but it also – I think it can drive you two ways. You can quit or you can say you need to train harder or get better. Yeah. Right? So I think it weeds out um, some people a little earlier, maybe. Yeah. Um, but it also opens your eyes a little earlier to, to what's really out there. And I really like that part of it. Like my kid, uh, my son went through some stuff where I put – we talked and he wanted to go to some events where as a, as a dad – I wanted him to do it because I thought it would be good for him in the future. As a as a coach, I kind of, like, I was real about where he was at, right? He was younger, a little smaller, like I was. Fundamentally, maybe as good, but just wasn't off the charts, hadn't grown, all this other stuff, right? So, <clears throat> excuse me, I knew that going in, he might not make it, these teams or whatever. He might have a tough time. And so it was really my wife and I talked a lot. It was like, okay, do we let him go fail or do we keep him from it, right? So my obviously me, my, my decision and was like, let him go do it, see where he's at, yeah. right? And my wife agreed to, a, to an extent. Like she was, she's all on board and then just, just to make sure like he doesn't, you know, it's not too much, right? Because yeah. we don't want him to, you know, just feel bad. We don't want any kids we have to feel like they're overmatched or they're not worthy or not, you know, good enough. So it's a real fine line you got to walk. And I think the club stuff kind of feeds into that. My daughter plays club volleyball, super competitive, yeah. super expensive. Like there's a lot of costs involved now that are we didn't have when we were kids. And our program's the same. You know, it's we rent some of the nicest fields around. We have indoor facilities we use. Like, there's stuff that we didn't do. We went to a park on the weekend and practiced, you know. Yeah. So, a lot of it's changed on that um, on that point, and it's, like I said, good and bad. The parents, and I'm going to be honest about it, are the very toughest part of the whole thing. Why? Um, well, they expect, like, their kid to be the best, right? Like, we all want our kid to be the best, and we all want to support them, and we all want to push them. Um, I think with social media right now, a lot of people want to post how good their kid is or, or their successes and kind of, which we all do. We all want to brag on our kids and like, right. We're all proud of them. We want to brag on them a little bit, but it gets to a point where it's almost like a competition. Yeah. So we had a a social media last night. I got tagged in a post of, uh, an eight year old kid that apparently came to one of our tryouts. Um, that said, thanks to all the teams we got to try out for, we'll be making a an announcement of who we chose tomorrow. Oh, great. <laughs> so, apparently, this is like college deal, right? We're He's opening eight. a letter. Well, yeah. So, my response is, well, if that's – I know the eight-year-old is not writing that. So, this is a parent. Yeah, let's right? just cut them so out. So, for me, it's a red flag immediately. Like, I just don't understand. And I'm not trying to bow-mouth this person. I just want them to understand, like – like we're not picking a college. It's, we're like we're not a top 100 guy that's on ESPN picking your college that yeah. people care about. And it's a big, but but that being said, like so my first couple of years I wouldn't have understood that. 
Yeah. Now I've kind of st- I still don't like it, but I understand like this might be the most important thing that this family's gone through in a while. Yeah. And so for me, I always said like, dude, it doesn't matter. It's not that big a deal. It's just a game. Like it's just kids having fun. Yeah. But then looking at it like, and it's it's taken a couple years, but I and having kids in our program that have gone through this, like, and you really sit down and talk to them and you kind of understand, like, why is this such a big deal for you? And maybe they're at school and they get bullied, right? But on the baseball field, they're pretty good. Yeah. Right, so they don't get bullied anymore. Maybe mom and dad are going through a divorce or things aren't good at home and this is your out and this is like your family away from your family, right? And this is an out for you. Maybe there's, uh, you know, uh, you got problems, got girlfriend problems or you know something else and baseball takes that away so there's you know there's all these different things that we don't put into account that a, that a kid might come to the field that day and he might not have it he might be <clears throat> acting like a like a brat that day or you know whatever right but maybe it's not because of this maybe it's because of something going on at home or school or friends or whatever so we have to kind of reel that back in and ask those questions and like hey what's going on you okay yeah and so it really is that important to those people, you know? I guess as a coach, like, that's really – I never had a coach say, hey, are you all right? Right. What's going on? It's just like getting your butt and tell you how to f- fix it. They just make me run? Right. And I think that's, that's – uh, I think that's how club baseball's grown a little bit because you do have dads coaching a lot of it. So yeah, that's the – yeah. So it's, it's bad and good, yeah. right? Because it's bad because – if you don't like on my team, your kid's not batting third and playing shortstop, then you go start your own team and you take him and two friends. And so it's it's a little diluted as far as club baseball goes, right? Yeah. Gabe quote marks there. But, like, when it started, club sports were, like, I guess elite-level sports, right? Yeah. Then you had recreational sports, which both are fine and both are for people, right? Like, club sports isn't for everybody and recreational sports aren't for everybody, right? Yeah. Like... But as a kid, you need to be, I think, what's going to make you grow the most. As a person, as a player, as an individual, like, for your future, right? How do we, how do we make you a better human first? Yeah. And which goes back to what, you, what we talked about, teammates, character, work ethic, all these other things, right? And so, that, and that's the hardest thing because I'm probably as competitive as anybody you'll ever meet. Yeah, I remember I was talking about, going to the tack and he told me well i'm not gonna go unless i can like no i'm gonna I, you wanted to compete there you want 100 percent, yeah like i i found out i was possibly gonna go in like march yeah and i started shooting every day yeah i did i mean like my wife's like what are you doing and i'm like well you know i have to practice like it's just not in me to not practice um and then dudley was talking trash to you and you're like well yeah let's shoot now now you're you're competing it's yeah. A well, world class archer. He kind of called me out, right? Like he's yeah. like, "Why aren't you shooting? Where's your bow at?" And I'm like, "Well, it's back of the trucks. You asked me to bring something down, so I brought it down for you." And then he's like, "You know, how are you? Why don't you go get your bow? You're afraid to shoot?" And I'm like, well, "Okay, I'll be back. I'm gonna go get it." <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm like, "My sights aren't set up for that shot, but we're, you know, gonna, we're gonna send it." But guess what? I hit the target, so Dude. I hit foam. Yeah. So I was fine. Um, do I need to get better? Yes. So yeah. next year, if I end up going, I'm I'm a little concerned I'm gonna beat him. Where's that because <laughs> you shot pretty good, and I've been shooting for 13 years, and 
you might just totally hammer me next year. Well, you got to remember, you just came off hand surgery as well. Yeah, I started shooting my dough that bow the day before. Yeah, <laughs> you didn't have much practice before that, so. But you still only missed two targets, right? Yeah, I, I lost two arrows. Oh, so you I only missed one target, and then I don't know what somebody else blew your other one up. I, I know I missed a couple, but so you started this nonprofit, which is awesome. I think it's so important to get kids off of screens, iPads, and TVs, and get them playing. And what I really like about it is that you kind of let every. Like, for the most part, you let the kids come in. I mean, I don't know what you do with the older teams. It might be trials. But when you let Wesley come in, mm-hmm. my son, you just said, come on in. Mm-hmm. And I said, how much is it? And he said, you didn't. It wasn't a big deal. It was like, just come in and play. Right. And I thought it was really cool. Just come, practice, play. I'm so, sure so, yeah, I mean, for the younger kids, like, the biggest thing we have to do is get them to fall in love with the game. Yeah, and we do whatever we can to do that, and it's not for everybody. Like baseball is a slow, boring sport for it a lot is. of kids, especially like kids like yours that ride motorcycles and are adrenaline junkies. <laughs> like it's, it's, a, it's a little slower, right? And, and it's tough because me and my wife love baseball. She coached softball at a high school, and it's really important for us that he likes baseball. But well, I can't. No matter what you him. think, it's not going to be up to you. <laughs> no, right? and that's the that's what we tell everybody. Like we have parents that played professionally or college or whatever, and they're like, "Dude, you just got to like it." He's just not going to like it, you know. And yeah. the more like, even my son grew up in clubhouses, and the last thing I can do is push baseball on him because yeah. as soon as I do, he just doesn't want to do it. You know, it's it's funny because Wes will be like, "I don't." He'll say he doesn't want, and then he goes out and plays, and he has fun. Does well, dude. Like, I mean, f- he's playing with kids that are older and that have done it for a few years, and he just jumps in there. He's not afraid. I mean, the biggest, the biggest thing for them to enjoy it early on is not to be afraid. Yeah. Right? You're gonna get hit, and it's not gonna feel good, and you're gonna wear it, <laughs> right? And That's, if you if you're afraid and you back out, then it's probably gonna be tough. But if you jump back in there, you're gonna be okay. That's tough for kids. Like, I mean, well, if you play football or basketball, anything, you're gonna get injured. Yeah, it's physical. Mm-hmm. And that's good. To a point. For the most part. Yeah. Concussions aren't good. No. And that's, like, I don't want my kid playing football right now. Yeah. Tackle football. Right. I don't think you want yours. No, mine right. plays flag football and seven on seven. And, you know, he just got in jujitsu. That's pretty Absolutely cool. loves it. Like, he's in love with it. Like, he just wants to go every day and practice moves on my throat. So. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to choke you out. I think it's his way of releasing anger on me. But, no, but it's, um. And, you know, I'm still learning as a coach, too, because for me to turn off the competition thing is really tough. And it's gotten, I think, better each year. But, I mean, those first couple of years were hard for me. Like, it, there's a switch, like, in the middle of my back that I can't reach. Yeah. Oh. And once it goes on, I can't turn it off kind of deal. You know, like, somebody get this because I can't reach it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, you get in a game and you still want to win. Yeah. Like, I tell our parents all the time, like, development and building them into men is my – my number one goal, but I will tell you when we get on the field, I'm never going to try and lose a game. Yeah, well, you got. I think it's important for competition. Yeah, they need to learn how it feels when you lose, mm-hmm. and it's got to hurt. I'm okay with getting beat. I'm not okay with losing. Okay, does that make sense? Yeah, like I don't like when we beat ourselves. Yes, if we get beat by a better team, I got no problem with it. 
if your effort's there and your attitude's okay, we're good. Yeah, I, I was watching a documentary with Taryn, my wife, earlier, and I saw Jordan steal the ball from the guy, mm-hmm. and then the guy just stood there. And I told Taryn, I was like, if I was a coach, I'd yank that guy out of the game. Mm-hmm. So, man, he just stood there, watched Jordan just run out of the yeah. And he just stood there like, ah. Uh. He did it again to me. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people stood back and watched Jordan. Yeah, I, I guess <laughs> if I was in the car, like, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. So, how did you, how hard was it for you to get, what caused, I guess, you to want to coach? How Was that something you always wanted? Did you, and how did that opportunity come about? It was something I never wanted to do. Oh, you never wanted no, to No, I never wanted to coach my own kids. Oh, and, I'm talking about. Oh, professionally? For minor leagues. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really passionate about baseball. Like, it was something, like I said, it gave me 18 years of, I guess, our lives professionally. Um, it gave me a whole lot. Introduced me to a lot of people. Showed me a lot of places around the world. Uh, lived in Japan for a little bit. You know, a family got to see that. I don't know. I really don't. Like, I, I wasn't ready to go back, I don't think. I wasn't ready to um, spend all that time again away yeah. from the family and from my house. Diamondbacks were awesome, dude. They offered me a job based out of here. I live at home. I get to do stuff and maybe travel a few times a year. And i tell you what, over the last – like, I love coaching the kids – and I helped out at Perry High School for a few years and high school kids and kids from eight all the way through college, right? Train a bunch of guys now, and it's just so different on the pro level. But we still get kids like the Dominican kids or, or young you know, high school kids that come in that, like, they don't know stuff that my 13-year-olds know, right? Just talent levels off the charts, but they've never been taught the game. Yeah. And so it's just a really different kind of fulfillment, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I think you can offer them something different than you offer the kids too. And it's just, you know, I had a lot of people tell me, dude, it's, it's, a, it's a feeling that you never had when you're playing. Yeah. And I agree with that. Like there's stuff that you'll tell somebody and you see it click and then all of a sudden they shoot up the ranks or they're, you know, all of a sudden they were trying to get something for a whole season and – you know, you're able to kind of give them something mentally, like a cue that might have worked for you yeah. that they get. And, you know, I, st- I don't know. It's, it's, it's what I know. You know what I mean? Like, I spent a lot of time learning the game. Yeah. And so I get to pass that along. I feel like the, the youth thing I feel like is my responsibility, right, to kind of pass along what I, what I know. Is it my passion? Partially. I think I have other passions in life, and that's where the, the one performance side is coming into play and all the, the new stuff that we're talking about. But the baseball side is just it's who I am as far as a job, right? It's not who I am as a person, but it's it's what I've done for so long, since I was five. Yeah. And, and um, I don't know, I really enjoy being on the field with whether it's an 8-year-old or a 35-year-old. You know what I mean? It, I just enjoy the field. I like for me, I get as much pleasure out of things like, for example, if I'm hunting with my wife or like when she shoots an animal or successful, I have more fun watching her be successful than 
when I'm doing it. 100%, yeah. And I feel like it's probably a lot like coaching. Like, Do you get more nervous when she's about to do it? Oh, for sure. Right. Like, it's just, I get antsy. And, yeah. And I, I, I get really excited, and it's cool to watch her be successful. Right. And I'm, I'm sure when my kids are ready to go hunting, I will, I've been told from friends and cousins that it's even better. It's absolutely amazing watching them have success. Yeah. And I'm I'm sure it's just the same if Wesley gets into baseball or mm-hmm. and he just is awesome. I'm sure I'll love it even more than when I played. Yeah, I, I get way more nervous when my son's up to bat than I ever did when I was hitting. <laughs> I do. Yeah. And I want it more for him than I ever wanted it for me. Yeah. I, I, I mean, yeah. I stand there and physically, like, feel myself get nervous. And, like, that's not anything I ever did when I played. Because yeah. it's 100% out of my control. You can't do anything. Zero. He, it's all in him. Mm-hmm. You taught him everything. Now he has to perform. Yeah. Well, you, <laughs> I don't know he learned listens, all of it. <laughs> well, yeah. By osmosis, he learned. Um, and, and my daughter the same way playing volleyball. Like, I get so nervous watching her. Yeah. And it's... It's cool. Like it's, I love it though. It's an adrenaline thing for me, but it's way worse than it ever was when I played watching. Yeah. I I think that's important. People need to learn how to watch other people, friends, family, Mm -hmm. be successful in something and enjoy it. Yeah. I don't, I think it's just people in general, friends, whatever it is, you know, like enjoy successes of other people. Like they, they worked really hard to get where they're at. Good for them, you know, like, don't hate on it. Like, I think there's some people, like, that see somebody be successful and, you know, and then they, it's like they get jealous. Yeah, I, I, that's exactly what it is. But there's really nothing, that's like, not going to fix anything, you know. No. Um, you can strive to want to be like those people, you know, like, hey, I like that, I want to do, okay, set a goal and go do it. You know, like, hey, he does this or he's got this or if if it's a material thing that drives you then i guess that's all right but you know like okay what do you have to do to get that or what do you have to do to get there so there's your goal you know it's there's a there's a process for that but that's kind of i think how we're wired you know and it's kind of a little yeah. different it's interesting because how things you say in the baseball realm mm-hmm. it correlates a lot with what i do in my business uh-huh it's really the same things same principles uh, you talk about the character of a person, them being loyalty and honest. And those are things that I demand in a people I'm looking to hire and people I want to be friends with. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really excited. I know I'm excited for the future podcasting with you and the people that we'll be able to bring in. And I think that we're going to be able to offer unique perspectives in the sports world, hunting world, business world. I think between the people that you have and I have, I think we're going to have a lot of fun. I'd agree 100%. Yeah, the way this all came about is kind of crazy. I mean, I was introduced to Pete Shepley uh, with PSE Archery and went down, what was it, February, March? Yeah. March, I think. Um, and talk to him, and he's like, dude, you got to call my, my boy Brock. And, like, I think I text you that night. Yeah. And you call me the next morning, and, like, we live a half mile away from each other. <laughs> and 
and it's uh, like the whole the whole cycle has been kind of crazy as far as how things happen, and and you know we start talking about what we want to do or what we think we should do, and you know you say something, I'm like, dude, I was just thinking that <laughs> the podcast thing. We kind of both joked about it, but we were both serious about it, and oh yeah, like we're gonna start a podcast, and then next week you got podcast gear. <laughs> I I was like, I'm gonna buy it. I'm really gonna do it, yeah. and then I did it. <laughs> so I made it real. So now we got to do it. So, but yeah, I mean, th- there's a lot of consistencies, I think, with, with sports and business and successful people. Like, you know, you're successful for a reason, and things work for a reason, and uh, everybody I've talked to, whether it's athletes or business people, kind of have the same drive as far as if you want to be at the top of your game and how you get there. It's interesting because I hear a lot of people, they want they want to be wealthy, and they don't realize that. It takes a lot of work, no matter what. It takes what. a ton of work. You're not just going to win the lottery. Yeah, and then there's a whole different avenue to all that. There's the financials, learning how to budget, and all those things that now you made the money. Now you need to know what to do with the money. How to keep it. How to keep it yeah. instead of spend it. Yeah. So. And how to make your money kind of work for you while you're asleep. You. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. I want money to work for me when I'm asleep. It's the only way you're going to not work your whole life i think i would love to retire younger than older so i can sure. blow all my money on hunts <laughs> <laughs> my that my wife would not be too happy about what i said she wants no, she house. gets to go she gets the beach house i get to hunt it'll be fine i think she might want to hunt too sometimes. she likes to hunt too she's okay. gonna come along she's gonna kill stuff it's fine i, mean, I saw a shot that she made it what almost 500 yards 500 yards yeah plastered pretty, pretty, pretty impressive not gonna lie. Oh, she shot her elk at seven hundred. I didn't see the video on that one. There was there wasn't a video, but then, she then, it's, it was, then it didn't happen. Oh, it did. <laughs> um, I believe you. So part of our podcast, we're gonna do a product review on it at every pro- podcast that we do. Product it, review. Yeah, let's do it, and we can do everything. It doesn't matter what it is. We'll review it. Right. So if you're out there and you got something that needs reviewed, let us know. Yeah, we'll we're on it. We'll test it. So today we're gonna we both experienced the knock on nation bow from PSE. Yeah, PSE um, Evo, Evo NTN thirty three. Yeah, thirty NTN thirty three. So I had a bow built by John Dudley. Um, came with a spot hog fast eddy sight. Mm-hmm. Um, knock on. Drop away, um, rest, rest, the elevate, the elevate, which elevate is rest. an awesome rest, riddance stabilizer, riddance stabilizer, knock to it, release, knock to it, name it. So, I found I've shot a lot of bows, I've shot a lot of good bows, mm-hmm. and this bow by far was the smoothest drawing bow. The let off was awesome. There were so many times that I'm like, did I dial right? Right. You just look down while you're holding And I'm holding the bow and I like take it off and I look and I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Right. Um, it's fast mm-hmm. and deadly accurate. What was your thoughts on it? Yeah. I mean, I've obviously not shot as many bows as you, but I mean, I had some Matthews bows, which are, you know, 
supposed to be top of the line for a oh, long time. Yeah, for sure. Um, went down and met Pete, you know, back then he gave me a, a PSE target bow that I was kind of learning on, or not learning, but practicing with. And then, uh, you know, he, he got me hooked up with one of these PSE uh, knock-on, and it, it, it is, I love it. Like, I can shoot it all day long. Like, I'll shoot two or 300 arrows a day, and I'm fine. I, um... <clears throat> I couldn't believe what a great facility PSE had. Yeah. The, um, and it's only half of what it used to be right now. And how the strings made at PSE are better than anything on the market. Right. I think they're super underrated. Yeah, Pete's pretty adamant about that. Um, and, and then John Dudley... He told me how great they were, right? And he knows his stuff. And he said, yeah. "You know what? PSE strings right now are the best on the market." He shot everything. Mm-hmm. He knows, right? And he explained to me why. And I can't tell you <laughs> the technical <laughs> what he said. Yeah, but but I'll, it is. I I understand. I what I got out of it was they're the best. They're the best. Yeah. Yeah. Pete is very adamant about his strings. Every time I've been down there to the facility, he's. Made sure to tell me how good they were. Yeah, well the, and I trust him 100%. I mean, they had an MIT engineering team build the, build the machine. machine right. to three do of those. them sitting there, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, it's, I mean, the facility is incredible. The, the machinery they have and the, the processes they go through for the carbon bows or the, you know, aluminum bows, it's, it's incredible to it's, sit there and look, look at the process and see a bow go through step by step. They have a CNC machine just to make parts mm-hmm. for the bows that they're making. Right. Yeah, they machine all their own stuff, in, or not all, but the majority of their own stuff in-house. The parts to build the bows. The parts to build the parts to build the bows. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's insane. Like, it's it really crazy. And they're, uh, I've been around forever, man. And I think they were, I think they might have been underrated for quite a while. I think they were. I think the partnership that, that they've kind of formed with Dudley and his following and his marketing kind of genius is uh, is pretty special. I think it's good for archery. Um, I know we've I've talked to a lot of players and uh, you know friends of mine uh, that are don't know a lot about it, but when they get into it, they're like they're hooked completely. Like we've got some coaches and stuff that we've just had start doing it. And, completely hooked and i think that the generation that kind of dudley can reach out to with his you know the way he goes about stuff and the knock on uh website and all the instructional stuff that he's giving out for free yes is is incredible like i I sat there and i went through everything i put my bow together pretty much myself just from him just from the videos yeah i learned how to shoot from the videos like i was holding it wrong i was yeah. releasing wrong. Uh, I went down to Alexander, one of one of Pete's coaches, and worked with him one day as well, but they go hand in hand, you know. Um, but, I mean, this Dudley content is free. I think you that's know, what drove me to want to do a podcast was listening to all the free stuff that John puts out there for everybody yeah. without getting a dollar. Yeah. And it's... And then get to see him interact with people at the at the uh, at the event, attack event, and it's it's genuine. You know what no, I mean? It really yeah. is, and it's. Uh, I think he does a great job. And like I said, it. You know, we we went down today and picked up some targets from Pete, and we're gonna 
have some kids learn to shoot, you know. Yeah. it's uh, I'm super excited to have, get those targets set up, get bows yeah. for the kids, teach them. We're just going to use the knock-on classes mm-hmm. and straight from it. I just want to get kids involved. I want to pay back the community a little bit. Yeah. I want to serve, help out, try to help. That's all. I'm so excited. I mean, it doesn't have to be even great instruction. It has to be, if we get one kid that likes it and it's able to kind of, you know, say, hey, I dig this. And we've got probably 15 or 20 kids in the in our baseball program that are interested in doing it. So, it, like, it, it just goes hand. It offers something else for them, you know, another, another way to get them off the screens and out of the house. And um, it's not cheap, but <laughs> we're going to make it as cheap for them as we can. But yeah. um, I, I'm really excited about it. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it's just another one of the, hopefully the avenues that we can kind of reach out and touch and. and uh, so if you're, if you got a bow, and you need a new one, or you're thinking about getting into archery, check out John Dudley's website. Check out PSE Archery. Right. And. You know, really look at these bows. Um, they're really competitively priced. They have some other bows that are the carbon. Yeah, they have all. Whatever you yeah, want. You can go from, you know, entry level to, uh, you know, as much as you want to spend on a carbon bow, I guess. But, I mean, the the bows themselves are pretty cool. We saw the process of how they camo them and different paint stuff on them and uh, sublimate them. And, like, dude, the whole process is pretty cool. And you can pretty much do anything you want. Yeah. Uh, as far as color combinations or camos or plain black or green or you name it, um, you can kind of do whatever you want down there. It's, yeah. Just a really cool process. So my bow that John built me, he actually was inspired by the color of my Challenger, my Dodge Demon Challenger. Demon, yes. And he calls it the Demon Gray. And um, pretty sick looking. I'm pretty excited. He was able to get this color, and so, well, thank you, Cody. Thanks for your story. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Look forward to the next one. Yeah. Anyways, um, stay tuned. Hope you guys enjoyed it. And uh, thank you for listening to Playing the Game. Till next time. Till next time.